grief can come of it. What's this? Another challenger? Your name, Sir Knight? Or your degree? Salutations, dear citizens, as we peer into the new fund order to discover the immutable truth for asset management and wealth managers. The lowdown from the dark side, the frontier and the fringe of asset management and fund research. A podcast for wealth managers, fund selectors, distributors and investors. Bringing to you the People's Republic Podcast of Finance, in association with my sponsor, Allianz Global Investors, capturing the latest market news, views, and interviews with leading minds in our industry. Allianz Global Investors is one of the world's leading active managers. In this episode, I shall not pass. Gatekeepers, gatekeepers, those charged to stand between the fund managers and investors. We talk with Bella, founder of Fundscape. In 2010, she established Fundscape, a research house specialising in the end-to-end analysis of the UK fund industry. Earlier in her career, Bella worked in investment banking and then a London-based consultancy firm where she specialised in market entry strategies for fund managers. Prior to Fundscape, Bella worked for Lipper FMI, a Thomson Reuters company, and now Refinitiv as Global Head of Research and Publications. Running since 2015, Fundscape's Gatekeepers study shines a light on the opaque and murky world of gatekeepers, fund selectors, and investment influencers. They influence more than 70% of all platform flows, and in adverse markets, the proportion is considerably higher. Their reach is significant, regardless of how good or bad they are. Funds that aren't on the gatekeepers' radars are losing out on substantial flows. So just who are the gatekeepers? How well do fund distributors understand what they do? Indeed, how well do investors understand what gatekeepers do? The editor-in-chief for Money Week runs with a story, Are Markets Bubbling Over? Is there a bubble in the stock market, he asks. Depends how you judge a bubble. If you just look at valuations in, say, the US tech sector, or perhaps the global renewable energy sector, there is no shortage of bubble signals. Meanwhile, IP runs with a story about AP4, the Swedish pension fund, which has been countering flag over its fossil policy. We have clear ownership criteria. AP4 has defended itself against criticism levelled at it, and most of Sweden's other national pension funds, that their policy of engaging with fossil fuel companies was not working. The Institutional Investor Group for Climate Change, the IIGCC, had launched its Net Zero Framework, which covered 22 asset owners amounting to $1.2 trillion in committing to achieve net zero alignment with the Paris Aligned Investment Initiative. The OECD, a club for developed countries, now expects GDP growth of 3.9% this year, much less than the 5.1% it had penciled in for UK. Eurozone output shrank by 0.7% quarter-on-quarter in the final three months of 2020. 
The Times reports that Bitcoin fell back sharply. India is mulling the introduction of a strict ban on such digital assets. BBC report that Elon Musk has dropped his chief executive job title and crowned himself techno-king of Tesla. Tesla's chief financial officer, Zach Kirkhorn, has the new title of Master of Coin. This may refer to the company's $1.5 billion purchase of Bitcoin this year. BBC also reports the US and its allies should reject calls for a global ban on AI-powered autonomous weapon systems, according to an official report commissioned for the American President and Congress. It says that artificial intelligence will compress decision timeframes and require military responses humans frankly cannot make quickly enough alone, and it warns Russia and China would be unlikely to keep to any such treaty. And lastly, Money Week reports drought dries out chip sector. A worsening drought is threatening Taiwan's semiconductor manufacturing sector, the crown jewel of the island's economy, says Cheng Ting Fang and Lauli Li on Nikkei Asia. The island is going through its worst drought in decades and the government tightened water use at the end of February, asking manufacturers in several cities to con- cut consumption by 7%. Taiwan is the world's largest base for chip makers which power everything from cars and phones to servers and games consoles. Chip production requires large amounts of water, but reservoirs on the island are at a critical stage. And that's the end of the news. Tag hashtag NewfoundOrder and let me know what news stories you want to hear. Interview. 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 And in these strange pandemic lockdown times, rest assured that all guests are calling in remotely. And welcome to the new fund order, Bella. Um, let's talk about those fund and investment gatekeepers. Great to have you on board. Hey, great, great to be here. Thank you very much. And I've obviously I do I do my I do my research, you know, before I speak to my guests. And uh, I was reading the uh, the 2019 gatekeeper study, Bella, and you noted if fund groups aren't on gatekeepers' radars, they could be missing out on substantial flows. So. To start us off, Bella, um, firstly, how would you define a fund gatekeeper to those listeners who don't know what they are? Who are they? I guess then that maybe naturally leads us on to why launch a gatekeeper study a few years ago? So a gatekeeper is an individual or a company that influences investment selection in some way, shape or form, right? So it's anything from a DTC recommended fund list to a bespoke DFM. So you've got advisor lists, you've got platform lists, DTC platform lists, um, the, the whole could be any, anywhere um, where there's some kind of influence or some kind of commentary or fund selection that is a gatekeeper. In social media parlance, they're called influencers, I suppose. Um, and as we can see from social media influencers or those instant influencers, they have the power to move markets. So it is really important that we know what they're doing. This whole idea of this world of the gatekeepers, which sounds you know terribly clandestine um, and, and very dark, which obviously plays to my uh, my gothic nature. Um, you noted that gatekeepers, that world is quite opaque and that many clients will simply not know what they do. And of course, intermediation and remoteness are, of course, a reoccurring theme of our industry. In terms of gatekeeper studies, they seem quite rare. Uh, you know, What effect has bringing transparency to the world of gatekeepers had? So... So I suppose the biggest revelation to me was disappointment, really, because it confirmed my thinking. And what it confirmed is that, you know, the vast majority of fund selectors are, 
you're just doing the same as everybody else and picking the safe large funds that they know they can get away with. Brand is everything, um, and that's you know that's that's a that's a problem really. Um, what we found is that there were sort of several funds or fund managers with a huge number of gatekeeper picks and then a very, very long tail of funds with one or two funds. Now, I can understand that in some cases, if you are a very large DFM or a large model portfolio or something, then you're going to have to be careful about the funds you pick because you could overwhelm that fund if it's a small fund. Right. right. Um, and so there's, there's obviously an argument for being careful about the funds you pick and so on. But there are ways around that. There's definitely ways around that. I think that for me, the, the really stark thing is that you know, if you looked at our gatekeeper's analysis, you looked at a fund uh, or the funds in a sector by the number of picks it had, and then you looked at the funds um, with the best performance. Often there was no correlation between the two. Right. And, you know, and sometimes these, you know, there is, in essence, there is a, in essence, a, a laziness thing where it, you know, they're picking funds, putting them into a model, and they're picking them based on the fact that it's a brand that they know, and that perhaps um, you know, that, that brand has the resource to send out people and promote that product. Um, so I think that was, for me, the biggest revelation was that there was such a lack of diversity in thinking among the among the gatekeepers, um, and I've seen we've seen this in other studies that we've done. We, we've deconstructed funds of funds, and exactly the same thing happens. And in the fund of funds, you know, again, um, you shouldn't have, you know, again, they're selecting funds that should be able to cope with their flows. But even there, you know, despite all the all the bollocks about diversification, we found that sort of more than sixty percent of your funds. Or funds of funds are actually invested in UK funds. There's so much for fucking diversity. You know? <laughs> does that point to, and you know, later in the season, I've got uh, Bev Shah coming on to, I guess, talk about diversity and gender equality generally within fund management. But in terms of those gatekeepers, does that point to some inherent biases and? Could the perhaps the problem be there is that there's just not enough diversity among the gatekeepers themselves? I really do think it's just down to a lack of independent thinking. Right. And it's it's sticking to a particular way of working. Let's choose these. And clearly this is a, a way of working that comes from decades ago, you know, when you, you got paid you selected a fund based on the funds that paid you the best commission. And that still affects the way things work today. So those brands, everything else, uh, are still being picked on sort of anachronistic, for anachronistic reasons. I mean, I like to use the analogy of, uh, I'm a great one for analogies, um, <laughs> and I, would, I like to compare our industry to the high street, okay? The high street, we've lost all those small independent boutiques, they've been priced out of the markings. And there are plenty of gatekeepers out there who are now starting to go, actually, um, you know, they, they're coming to us and looking at our uh, gatekeeper work and think and saying, actually, I don't want to be picking the same funds as um, another big provider. I want to make sure that, you know, that, that there is no systemic risk in the funds that I'm picking. The big difference between a gatekeeper and the fund manager is is a big one. 
gatekeepers don't actually have to have any qualifications to pick funds. And this is a really important factor that we have to remember. Any Tom, Dick and Harry can come along and put a list together and say, here you go. And of course, anyone, you know, as human beings, we always assume that if we look at a list that's been put together, that some, some thought and attention and care has gone into that. Actually, you could have just got a monkey to pick them out of a newspaper, because often that's what it looks like when you look at the quality of these lists. But you don't sound terribly optimistic about the adaptability of the of the gatekeepers themselves, right? And also just this rapid change in the face of technology and how technology is being used in the industry. Are they adapting to that? Are they adapting to, for example, adopting, you know, embracing, for example, index or innovative exchange traded funds? No, not really. I mean, for example, you know, if you look at, if you look on compare the platform and you look at all the sort of DTC providers or the robos that do ESG type um, portfolios, they are more expensive. Um, so immediately, you know, there's a minimum investment for, for, for example, for some of 5,000 on a robo. Um, there's just not enough time has gone by for, for those for the for ESG factors to be commonplace and therefore there'd be no difference for an investor whether it is just an ordinary fund or whether it's an ESG fund. That should be that should be completely uh, what's the word? They should be measured on they should be measured on a, on a level they should be on a level playing field or two but it's still not there and so for some investors who are looking at these different things they might be driven by um, ESG factors but it still comes down to oh I can't afford it or that fund's expensive you know the funds ESG many of the sort of really good ESG funds have higher OCS much higher OCS. Um, and, and, and mainly because they're also actively managed. You know, to, to, to run a fund properly, um, an ESG fund properly, you do need active management, or certainly there's no way, no proper way yet, of, uh, of automating all those different factors that contribute to, you know, to how, how, how ESG a fund really is. Uh, we haven't quite, quite found it yet, we haven't got the algorithms yet. Uh, maybe in you know five, ten, fifteen years, that will all be captured. But right now, it's pretty difficult. You know, for example, knowing, understanding how um, uh, companies are voted, you know, how funds are voted. That sort of information is manual. You've got to go and guess it, and you've got to input it manually. So it's it's not it's not straightforward. Um, hopefully, one day we'll see we'll see that we'll see that change. Now, it's one thing, Bella, in terms of these gatekeepers floating along in the sea of mediocrity, you know, somewhat uh, aloof and safe from some of the big secular forces that are happening in the world. It's another when funds blow up on their watch. And, of course, we've had a number of blow-ups across Europe, including, obviously, Woodford, which obviously garnered a huge amount of press attention, but also GAM, also H2O. And thinking about, I guess, the pressure that was put on, uh, you know, one gatekeeper, for example, is Hargreaves. What effects mm. did Woodford have on the gatekeeper community on Hargreaves? And do you think gatekeepers actually stopped and recognised the part that they played in it? Well, so for the, you know, I'm, it isn't just gatekeepers' part. Um, uh, the gatekeeper's role in, in the Woodford affair is also the media's role because. You know, that constant um, 
scrutiny of Hargreaves led everyone to think that only Hargreaves Lansdowne had that fund on its list until, right. until the end. And it, it was not the only one. There were lots of others. You know, when, when the fund was suspended, we still had eight lists with that fund on it. So I don't really want to talk about the names. There's some big names, and they've just got away with, with not being mentioned. Uh, and, of course, because everyone likes to bash Hargreaves Lansdowne, because it's the biggest D2C platform in, in the country and, and it tends to not say very much. So everyone likes to bash it. There's a, so there's a few things. I mean, I think, I think um, what I'm about to say is probably not very, uh, is not going to be very popular with people. Uh, but, you know, the Woodford Fund, had it been left to carry on, you know, it, it, to carry on um, with its investment strategy, um, Probably would have been would would have worked out okay, but Link pulled the pulled the rug from underneath it, and it it triggered a whole host of uh, decisions, sell-offs, etc., etc. Whereas I I I actually think that some of those bets that he made, if if they'd been allowed to play out, would have worked. But media, the the the, the, the media, the news, the the unprecedented um, attention on it just meant that that couldn't happen. But if there's that level of doubt, I mean, we've been talking about the the challenges of gatekeepers, we've talked about the mediocrity at times of gatekeepers, we've talked about the blow-ups, and yet, why do investors, pension schemes, financial advisors continue to trust gatekeepers? Um, should they just try to select the funds themselves? God, no. <laughs> that would be even worse, wouldn't it? God, no. I mean... <laughs> Look, you know, like anything, they just if there's just too much choice, people are overwhelmed, right? Um, and look, if if you've got a handful of, let's say, there's about two hundred gatekeepers in in the industry that that are influencing how the industry works, if they get it wrong a lot of the times, and they do, how the hell are the rest of us going to get it right? You know, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, it's just impossible. Um, but we do need to, there are too many, the problem is that there are far too many funds in the industry. So really we should, you know, I mean, if you look at the European fund industry, there's what, 45, 50,000 funds. Mm. Compare that to the US where there's probably um, 15,000, there's a big difference already. There's far too many funds doing the same thing. So a lot of these funds should be, should be closed, you know, got rid of it in some way, shape or form. So there's too much selection, um, too much choice. And as we know, too much choice makes people freeze like rabbits in headlights. So, um, and that's why gatekeepers and farm selectors are so important. The problem is that we assume, we assume that all gatekeepers are the same. And there's a huge difference between someone who just opens a newspaper and picks out a few funds and puts that on a piece of paper, and the ones who do a huge amount of research. Um, so, you know, interestingly, when we look at all the different gatekeeper cohorts in our study, what we found is actually, as a cohort, the best ones are the D2C ones, because they're the ones who are looking at the consumers and the investors in the eye, and are basically, you know, they've got to, they've got to nail their colours to the mask and, and, and say, we've selected these funds, and as we saw from, you know, the Harvey's Woodford fall out, you know, they, they, had a, they had a bit of a backlash against that. But, as it, but because of that, because they're so conscious of the fact that they're having to deal with customers and they can lose those customers really easily, 
on the whole, they're far better. They're far better fun pickers than, than anybody else's, any other people. Yeah, and of course, as you say, a number of gatekeepers, uh, and I'm thinking here, Bella, things like model portfolio service providers. Are they are MPSs sufficiently transparent, and do they need to be regulated more? Yes, and yes. Um, <laughs> oh, sorry, yet yeah, no. So that they're not sufficiently transparent, and yes, uh, and yes, they do need to be regulated. Um, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, it's a bit like the you know these value assessment reports that we've done, or that fund managers have to do now. Um, you're asking fund managers to assess their own funds, and some of them are patting themselves on the back and saying, "Yeah, you're doing a fab job. Well done." Others are being pretty good and looking at their own funds and 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 and, and acting on what they found, and so they're making it part of their. You know, they're integrating it into their everyday uh, process. Um, and that's the interesting thing, is that fund managers have assessment of value reports, but we don't have the same thing with model portfolios. And if you, if you know that around 50% of all flows, um, at least 50% of all flows in the platform industry, are going into some kind of model portfolio, then um, it makes the assessment of value on individual funds totally irrelevant, because what matters is how that model portfolio works together in one and, and how that is assessed. So there's so a lot has to be done. Um, we also need to evaluate, people need to be able to evaluate model portfolios and rank them and compare them and contrast them to others. And that's really what we want, what we are trying to do with the gatekeepers um, study. Um, that is essentially what we want to do: is to list all the, is to is to list all types of model portfolios in in, in one place against different criteria. Because so if someone, if a model portfolio is CPI plus three or or CPI plus four or, or whatever, then you should be able to evaluate um, models against similar models, much in in exactly the same way as you would with a fund. There's, there should be no difference between evaluating funds. And, uh, and evaluating model portfolios. I mean, it, it's ridiculous to think that uh, a fund manager could have a multi-asset fund that you know has to produce uh, performance stats and all sorts of things, but but doesn't have to do the same for a model portfolio. Look, before um, before I let you go, Bella, I'm afraid I I, I do subject all guests to my uh, ten question rapid fire round plus one bonus question and. If you are ready, we shall begin. Gosh, I'm scared. Go, go. <laughs> okay, nice and easy, nice and easy. Here we go. Rapid fire round. Question one, bull or bear? Bull. Question two, bogle or buffet? Mm, bogle. Question three, profit or planet? Planet. Question four, divest or engage? Engage. Question five, lower cost or better value? Lower cost. Question six, super tankers or boutiques? Boutiques. Question seven, star managers or team players? Team players. I had a sneaky feeling you'd go for team players. (laughs) (laughs) Question eight, public or private? Private. Question nine. High growth or stable income? Stable income. And question 10, socialism or free markets? Free markets. <laughs> I'm going to be 
And then we've got this one last uh, bonus round. Now, bonus round. Pick a number between 11 and 40 for me. 33. Oh, this is an easy one. Question 33. Jazz or pop? Oh, pop. There you go. <laughs> I love a bit of disco and pop. You have been a fantastic guest, Bella. Thank you very, very much for um, joining the refund order and indeed surviving it. Thank you uh, ever so much. No problem. Thank you for having me. Please don't forget to like and share and subscribe. You know, click the subscribe button. A new podcast every two weeks with a new guest. Stay tuned. So as Fun Gatekeepers, how do we meet the challenges and the criticism posed by Bella in her Fun Gatekeepers report? Well, firstly, I think we have to actually address that we need more regulation in uh, Fun Gatekeepers and obviously in terms of model portfolios and fun buy lists. Secondly, we need more governance. We need to create and outsource to independent committees. We need more monitoring performance, ESG factors, persistency, liquidity, churn, and the risks and how those are reported in terms of the models and indeed how do they add value to investors. And then and lastly, I think the fund gatekeepers need to be direct full PRI signatories, principles of responsible investment, and report something that is resembling the PRI module 5 selection, appointment, and monitoring, which would move them on from the platitudes into positive change. Drop me a comment. Let me know what you think of the fund gatekeepers study. What do you think to the views uh, raised today? And more importantly, how do we move forward in terms of being fund gatekeepers? A big thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in. Brought to you by my sponsor, Allianz Global Investors. And a warm thanks to today's guest. Legally, I am compelled to remind everyone that all views of this podcast are, of course, independent and do not belong to any affiliation or organisation. Just in case that was in any doubt. Tune in for the next podcast every two weeks from The New Fund Please subscribe, share, like and comment. Let me know what you think and what you'd like covered in future episodes. Until then, stay safe and keep it left field. Black from hoof to plume, the Eloman knave. Soon be bright with blood, your highness. His homage was to beauty, not to faith, I fear.